Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. It seems that your entire day can be determined as either good or bad depending on how you start it. Our ability to keep from being thrown off track by our circumstances begins right when we wake up each morning. Will we find our strength in praying and listening for God each morning, or do we too often just wing it and wait to call upon the Lord once the challenges begin? Today we will be answering these questions looking at Psalm 5. We will look to find the identity and perspectives that differ between the wicked and the righteous. Thanks for listening. meet somebody who they just couldn't start their day properly until they got that first cup of coffee. You know anybody like that? Yeah. Just, you know what? For me to even think sanely and deal with life, I got to have a little bit of caffeine. Yeah, I think that's probably not the best thing in the world, uh, but you can easily see the illustration here as to how that little bit of a chemical help can help people think they feel a little bit better. How much more important is it for believers to start the day off right? Um, I've made it a habit in my own life to know that whatever I'm going to face today, I may not be aware of. But I know who is. God knows exactly what it is that I am going to face today. Do you know the same is true for you? You don't know what today holds. You're, you, you, may, you may come out of the church today and find your tires flat in the parking. And I didn't do that. I didn't let on. But you might. These little challenges that God might bring that you are, will not be prepared to face Unless you are filled up with not coffee, but unless you're filled up with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the living God will help you to face the trials of life that you'll be able to handle them. You won't buckle and break beneath them. I've entitled this message, Confidence in the Morning, and we're going to be in Psalm 5. Uh, As we are, we're going to find that the psalmist here is going to identify Two very different worlds. And that really has been the theme throughout all the the psalms that we've looked at. Those of the righteous and those of the wicked. He's going to say that there is a discipline that needs to happen within the life of a God-fearing person. So that they will be equipped to face whatever they face. And they won't, rather, be changed to end up looking like those who oppose them. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen in the news recently, this has come through my news feed a couple of times, that Mount Everest is crowded. Has anyone run, run across that in the news? How crazy is that, by the way, that we're, we're apparently doing so well as humans that we can't fit enough people on this endeavor to climb the highest mountain. But one of the things that you'll see if you uh, traverse this news story at all is that uh, the mountain will try to claim lives. So what it does. There's not enough oxygen to breathe up there. In fact, if you go up there, you will die unless you carry the oxygen that you need with you. And if you don't have what you need for life on the top of Mount Everest, you will become Mount Everest. The, the mountain will turn you into itself. Cold and lifeless and dead. This is the world that you live in, church. You live in a world where the devil rules as an imposter on his throne, on Christ's throne. He comes to pretend like he rules, but you know what the evil one comes to do? Seeks to kill and destroy. He lies for a living. And his desire is to turn you into that which he treasures, someone who is destroyed where there is no life. 
There are many in our world today, rulers in countries and many who you probably will run across just in your time throughout your day who don't want to honor God. They'd rather honor themselves. They don't want to think highly of the creator. They would rather have themselves to be elevated as God. I don't want to submit to his law and his rule. I'd rather decide what I'd want to do. These are going to be that which is modeled before you. And unless you, like a hiker on top of Mount Everest, are carrying something with you when you leave this place, the world out there will transform you to look just like them. God knew this. He knew that this was going to be the challenge, that you and I are continually going to want to be conformed to look and think after the values of this world. And so he gave us his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God to come as a keeper in your life, never to leave you, always to be pining with you, speaking to you in truth, helping you to know what God has said. The goal is that you would begin to be transformed in how you think, not according to the world's values. Time and time again, especially in John's Gospel, you will find Jesus saying some things such as, look, if the world hates me, it's also going to hate, it's going to hate you. Look, no, Jesus says this, no servant is greater than his master. What did the world do to the one who's called the way, the truth, and the life? What did the world do? They murdered him. The world's values have nothing to do with God's values. And you are going to be tempted as you leave this place to think upon those values. The American dream is one that I know we've all heard of what the American dream is. It's entirely focused on self. This is, this is a tough sermon for me to preach to try to uncouple Americans from the American dream. But I got a ringer on my side. His name's the Holy Spirit. And he lives in every one of you. So this is what I know. I can preach a really offensive message that's according to truth, and you're going to listen because the Spirit is going to bring that truth to life and apply it to your heart. We're going to hear from God's Spirit today in Psalm 5. And as we do, we're going to walk through a structure that shows different settings. So we'll read through it and maybe walk through it one more time, make a few observations, and work towards really getting down to the heart issue at hand, the main problem. Psalm chapter 5, let's read. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for, I, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men. The Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence I will bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. And their tongue, with their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. 
But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may, be, may rejoice in you. For surely, O oh Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. I want, I want us to walk through this psalm one more time. I want to break it down for you, though, in, in the scope of its structure so that you can see the movements uh, that the psalmist is doing. He begins uh, to start off with, with this opening cry to God. It's kind of the opening petition to God. And that's found in verses 1, 2, and 3. After this, you have this first section where basically what he's doing is he's taking a glance over at the wicked, and then he looks over to the righteous. And then he's going to look back over at the wicked, and then back again to the righteous. So this flip-flop is what we see. In the first two, we're given this, uh, this feature of seeing God's perspective. How does God see the wicked, and how does God see the righteous? And then the last two are coupled again, a flipping between the wicked and the righteous, but now he's going to give you identifiers. This is what it looks like to be wicked, and this is what it looks like to be righteous. So with this structure in mind, I, I want to I read through it one more time, all right? So keep, keep this format in your minds, and let's see if we can understand again what God says through Psalm 5 one more time. One through three, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing, listen to my cry for help. My King and my God, for I pray to you in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. There's our opening petition before God. And now he's going to look at the wicked and we will see their punishment. Verse four through verse six. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. All right, and now the camera switches, and now he looks over to the righteous. Uh, The psalmist here gives look over his own heart. This is what he says in verses 7 and 8. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence, I will bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Now we're going to shift again. The camera pans back again to the wicked, and it will give you an identifying feature of the wicked. This is how you can identify them. Verses 9 through 10. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. In our last section again, the camera pans one more time to look over to the righteous and here the identifying feature of them is not in this wicked speech, this throat of an open grave. Instead, it's seen in those who find protection in the Lord. Verses 11 and 12, the psalmist writes, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. All right. With this in mind, let me just offer a few different observations as we seek to understand what God has to say to us through this. The first three verses here, the stanza of the opening prayer. I want you to see how many times he petitions the Lord. Look at the verbs. Give your ear. Listen, he says. Consider my sign. 
The psalmist is, here is making a continuing cry out to God, asking God to listen to him. Have you ever felt like that? Has that, has that ever been kind of your day? Like, man, I need God today. I just don't know where he is. I just need to cry out to God over and over and over and trust that he hears me. One of the things that you'll encounter in this world is the doubt of, look, does God really exist? Ah, come on. Does God, you go church every, every Sunday, seriously? Uh, that, that's, that's really going to be the perspective of the world's influence in your life. And you're going to encounter moments of that as well. Do you think, let me ask you a question. Do you ever think in your life when you've prayed to God, there was ever a moment where God was too busy playing Sudoku to listen to you? Did, did, did your call ever go to voicemail for God? Do you think that's ever happened in your life? God has heard your prayers. He has heard you every time. As much as somebody standing right next to you could hear your cry to Him. But see, the world is going to cast doubt upon that. And you and I, we need to remember that these hymns, these psalms, are given to reframe our minds so that we would know, no, God does hear us. God does listen to us. Uh, the second thing I want you to see from the beginning is His way of referencing God. Look in verse 2. Listen to my cry for help. My king. Do you see that? And my God. I, I can't have you ignore the personal pronouns here. This is not the psalmist crying out to somebody's God. I, I don't know who this is, but I'm going to dial the number as if you're making a cold call. Imagine that getting, getting to heaven. Yes, this is uh, Ryan from Earth. I wonder if I could spare two minutes of your time today. Uh, God just sat down for dinner. It's a bad time. Oh, I'll call back later. Right? Yeah. This is not some impersonal God. This isn't somebody that's removed from you. You need to know that when you pray, you pray to a God who's personal. He belongs to you. He's yours. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows all about you. He knows when you lie down. He knows when you get up. He knows the very best moments of your life. Now, we like that idea, right? You know, when, when we really did that awesome thing for the Lord, when we were really shining good, boy, God saw me. Do you know what he also knows? He knows your darkest secrets as well. And there you find the comfort of a God who will never leave you or forsake you. He's your king. He's your God. That's who you cry out to. This, uh, let's look at this second section now because we're really going to try to answer the question, what is God's perspective on sin? I really cannot emphasize this enough that this, this single aspect will change how you obey God. Whether God is for you just this, you know, guy up in the clouds and I go to church once a week and I pay my tithe, if he's this thing that's just added to your life, or if he's your all in all, will all be determined in your view of sin. Whether or not you understand sin the way God sees sin. So, starting in verse 4, I want you to take a look at kind of uh, the way God references sin here. He starts out as one who does not take pleasure in evil. Uh, we are told in the scriptures that uh, the men who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, remember Jesus being the light of the world. Do you know why they didn't love the light? What's the opposite of light? Why wouldn't you love the light? Because you love what instead? This is what the Bible says. 
They love darkness. And, and here's the thing. The reason why you won't read this isn't because it's confusing. You read stuff that's confusing all the time. Newspaper's confusing. All kinds of things we read can be hard to understand. The reason why we won't spend time with God is because you love your sin. So not, again, not a, not a real happy message here to the church, but I know the Spirit's in you. And the Spirit's number one job is to convict the people of God of sin. If you're not coming towards Christ, you're going towards your sin. And the reason the Bible says why people don't love the light is because they love their darkness instead. We need to see sin the way God sees it. Verse 4 says, you don't take pleasure in evil. Look what else he says. You hate all who do wrong. I looked up this word hate. Um, it's the idea of, I just detest it. Oh, I just detest it. It's, um, it's Troy Aikman with the Dallas Cowboys back in the day. Anyone with me on that? No, no I'm seeing some people know. We, we, man, did I hate the Cowboys back in the day. Anybody else? Terrell Owen. Who really loved Terrell Owen? Right. Am I getting off topic here? I, I'm trying to make an illustration you can understand how you can really just detest something. I really don't like it at all. For me, it's like a flipping the channels and come across a soap opera. <laughs> Man, I hate soap operas. I will not sit and watch a soap opera ever. It's, it's purely manufactured drama. Why would you waste your time watching it? Or like diet soda? Who likes the taste of diet? Something's missing in it. <laughs> I detest it. I want nothing to do with these things, right? So whatever the sports team analogy for you is, whatever the disgusting drink is, whatever the show that you refuse to watch, that's how God feels about sin. He hates it. He turns it off. He, he throws it in the trash. He's not cheering for that team. God hates sin. And he hates those who do sin because you've embodied something that God hates. A few other things he says about that. It gets worse from here, by the way. It says that he just, look at verse 6. You destroy those who tell lies. Um, this morning I was getting ready for church in the shower. And uh, the, the shower's running. And the, the water's starting to, to come up in, in the tub. Anyone else ever had this happen? <laughs> now, as the man in my house, I, I, I know how to fix this. I really don't like having to fix this, right? Um, so, some of you might have had to do this yourself. You've got to get a coat hanger, right? And, and you've got to dig down in there. And, and what comes up from the drain? Oh. Oh. Right? Now, what do you do, what do, you do with this treasure once you unearth it? You, you set it next to the nightstand. Look what I found! You, dis you destroy it, right? This is what you do with this. The, the smell itself makes me gag. I mean, it's, you don't keep it. You don't want anything to do with it. This is, the, this is exactly the idea of how God handles sin. This is not something to be kept. This, this is something that's stopping up the purpose of even the plumbing can't do what it needs to do because it's got this gunk in it. We got to destroy this stuff and get rid of it. All right, one more word. If you didn't think this was enough, the end of verse 6, you destroy those who tell lies, bloodthirsty, deceitful men. Look at this. The Lord abhors. There's no stronger word in Hebrew for hating something than this. The word, the word itself is a synonymous word for the word abomination. That's this word right here. Sin, it's an abomination before God. And so it, it really moves beyond hate 
Because you could hate a certain sports team. You could. But, but look, if I hear that someone on the team that I don't like is going through a hard time, I can still identify with them. I can still love them, right? That's not this word. This word abhor, it means complete rejection. It's how you and I would feel about cancer. Any, anybody on board with saying cancer is good? No, you abhor it. It's like rape. Anyone on board thinking that's, a, that's something we should keep in our society? No, we abhor it. It's the idea of murder. Do you see what I mean? This, this word is so serious. Church, you've got to hear me today. That's the picture of sin that God has. That's what it looks like. All right, now we switch scenes again to look to the privilege of the righteous. And this time we're going to answer the question, what is the sinner's perspective on God? The question before, what was God's perspective on sin? Now we're going to answer, what is the sinner's perspective of God? And it's really to be seen as a privilege. Verse 7, he says, I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. So the first thing that the sinner sees is that we have to have a need for humility. Because we deserve to be tossed into the trash. That's what we deserve because of sin. But we're allowed into God's house. We're allowed in. Not because of you but because of his great mercy. Emily and I have this little dog. You've met him before. His, his name is Tappy. I, I love this dog. <laughs> he was, uh, the other day, um, we let him sleep on our bed because of our great mercy. We let this dog sleep on our bed. And um, every now and then, he doesn't quite understand he's got to go to the bathroom outside, but he'll get a little antsy, you know, doesn't really know what to do. I'll say, you, you got to go potty? Is that what you're trying to tell me? And so we, we let him out, and I, I let him out this night, and he just goes and he stands there, looking back at me, like he doesn't know what's going on. Come on, let's go. Any of you with me? Anyone try to do this with the dog? Come on, let's go. It's late. I'm out here on Let's go. And so I got to get this dog back into the house now, because he didn't want to do anything. Later that night, let me tell you something. Some people think stepping on a Lego is the worst thing you can do at night. There's something worse you can step on in the dark. Let me just tell you that. Warm, stinking, slippery, right? I was about ready. But guess what? That little dog, he was allowed to sleep on the bed by my great mercy. Do you get the picture? This is exactly what God says ought to be your perspective of the fact that you're able to come here. How are you and I able to, to encounter the true living God? You have no right in and of yourselves. We're, we're like the little dog making messes all over for God to avoid. That's what we're like, taking his name. Even some of us as Christians, needing as little baby Christians to be convicted to say, look, this isn't how you should live. you got to live to honor the Lord with your life, not honor yourself. That's like a steam, steaming, smelling mess on the floor is what that's like before God. But he lets you come. He lets you come. So humility is why and how we come to God. The second thing I want you to see is it's with reverence. Again, in verse 7, what does the sinner do as he comes into God's presence? Sup, God? How's it going, bro? Is that, is, that, is that the attitude? Look what he does. He says, in reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. So first we see humility. Secondly, we see reverence. And thirdly, we see submission. 
The perspective that the sinner must have before God is one of submission. In verse 8, look at the request. This is, by the way, the first request in this psalm. Lead me, he says. Lead me. How, how many of you are confident to say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm saying that to God all the time. Lead me, God. I think by nature, do you know what you and I want to do? We want to go where we want to go. I don't want to go where God tells me to go. I don't want to do what God tells me to do. I'd rather do what I'd rather do. Hey, God, I, I know the best thing for this situation. You ought to do it my way, God. How many of us would rather have this heart of one who submits to God that says, you lead me, God, Where, wherever that is, even if that's to a place that would cost me my life. I'm willing to go because you are worthy. And just like we sang this morning, we find our satisfaction in you and not in what our culture offers us to chase after. Remember, unless you use these psalms to retrain your thinking, you will be conformed to think like the world does. And you're never going to say what he says in verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Look at the last part. Make straight your way before me. It doesn't say make my way straight. It says make your way straight. Well, what if that's got a big valley or a big mountain in front of it, God? See, my way is nice and easy. I want to press cruise control on my Christian life the whole way, right? And listen to the radio the whole time. And probably text a few people, even though I shouldn't do that. That's how I want to live my life, right? Doing what I want after my desires. Psalmist here says, no, look, God, make your way straight before me. And as I see it unfold, I will walk by faith through it. You lead me, God. That's the privilege of the righteous. All right, two more sections. Let's get through this. The vice of the wicked. In verse 9, uh, we see what's, uh, what they're defined as, how their attributes and their identity. Two things are listed here, but one is most important overall. He says, not a word from their mouths can be trusted. So remember, it's the devil who lies, but um, we're pretty good at it too, you know. In fact, I'd say the person who lies to you more than anybody is you. More people lie to themselves uh, especially over their need for change. Oh, I'm doing fine. I don't need, I don't need no extra counseling. I don't need any, any uh, uh, Bible. I'm good with the Bible. I love the Bible. I'm good with the Bible. Yep. But I, I don't need to read it. That's for somebody else. You're lying to yourself. He who says he's without sin deceives whom? You're lying to yourself. Here, their, their lips are full of lies. Their mouths are full of lies. And I want you to see the source of it. Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. So catch me on this crucial principle within how people work. What comes out of their mouth is source where? In their heart. Have you ever ran across somebody, maybe a family member, a co-worker, who's just a pain in the butt today? Anybody ever run across somebody? You're just like, what is with you today? What are you, what's going on with you? Um, man, you should see my wife sometimes. How she puts up with me. You thought I was going somewhere else with that, didn't you? <laughs> no, you should see how she puts up with me sometimes because um, every now and then I'll just get hangry. You know what that is when you're hungry? And, yeah, yeah. and I'm, just not, I'm just not very sanctified in the moments. I, I'm, I'm short with my comments. My sweet wife has to deal with me on that. Do you know what the problem is? Is the problem with my mouth? Where's the problem? It's not my stomach either. <laughs> the problem is with my heart. Look at what it says in verse 9. Their heart is filled with destruction. That's why what comes out of their mouth is so putrid. 
I want you to know something here. This is just a little extra, even though it's not in our text, this is an important message. If you think that confronting those whose mouths are speaking rubbish is going to fix anything with mouths, you're going to be mistaken. The problem is not with their speech. The problem is with their heart. And do you know how we fix the heart? It's with the Holy Spirit. This is how we fix the heart. So he says their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Look at verse 10. The psalmist says, declare them guilty, O God. I want you to pay attention to that request. Because the psalmist could have done one of two things. He could have said this. He could have said, by your word and your standard, declare them guilty. Or he could have said, just change your standard, God. Honestly, these are, these are the two options. When it comes to this world, either God's standard stands... And those who sin and rebel against him are condemned according to his word, or we ask God to go by our word instead. Don't go by your word, God. And you, 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 ought, to, you ought to go with what we want. Receive from our hearts what we want, rather than us receiving from you what you want. The psalmist here knows the answer isn't God changing his standards. It's God being true to it. And if God is true, I want you to just see the, the result. Their intrigues will be their downfall. God will banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. All right, our last uh, section here, I've entitled it The Refuge of the Righteous. And look at the response here. To find refuge means to find safety. It means to find shelter. It says they will be glad. It says they will sing. You'll spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. I want you to see that that's the key. If you are into underlining anything in your Bibles, this is the sentence you need to underline. That those who love your name may rejoice in you. It's a question of the heart. For the wicked, their heart is filled with destruction. They love themselves, so their mouths follow suit. For the righteous, we love your name, not our own name. And therefore, we will dwell in safety and protection as God surrounds him, his favor with the shield. So here's what I want to offer to you as a conclusion of Psalm 5. The first, uh, there's really two halves of it, but it's this, that prayer produces protection. Prayer produces protection. Prayer for you ought to be as regular as a morning routine as brushing your teeth. Do you ever talk to somebody who hasn't brushed their teeth in the morning? Not the most enjoyable thing. Do you ever talk to a Christian who hasn't prayed in the morning? It can be not the most enjoyable thing. Prayer for you, it's a protection. But this is the important point. It's not only a protection from that which is on the outside. It is also a protection of you becoming like those on the outside. The canister of oxygen that you need to carry up the mountain of this world is prayer. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling in your life. Otherwise, you're going to die on this mountain. One of the commentators I was reading and studying this says this, prayer is not only the protection from wicked persons, it's also a protection from becoming like wicked persons. Again, in verse 12, 
Listen to what he says. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as a shield. The devil's not taking a day off, church. He's really not. And you're going to leave this place this morning. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to have an awesome bake sale. You're going to fellowship with one another, uh, encourage one another while we're here. But you're going to leave this place and you're going to go back to the real world. And you're going to go back to whatever it is you and your spouse were fussing about. You're going to go back to whatever challenges you had needing to put more money into the house. You're going to go back to whatever difficulties you face with prescriptions and appointments. All of that's going to come back to you all the while with the devil with bow all the way back with an arrow ready to shoot you. Just, just ready. That's what you have facing. How foolish would it be to go out into that world and not have God's protection over us? Tell me one more time. When did the psalmist offer this prayer? What time of day did this come? In the morning. First thing. I've made it a challenge in my life that before I get out of bed, I bought this little rug at Home Depot and I put it, I put it on the side of my bed right there. And I'll kneel on that rug and pray at night. But in the morning, before I set my feet on that rug, I will sit on the edge of my bed and I will pray that God gives me the strength to help me through this day. Every morning I do this. But I just make a rule. Before my feet are allowed to touch this rug, I'm going to pray and ask God's help for this day because I need his protection in my life. So this is what I want to offer to you in terms of application. If you are a Christian, the first thing you need to do is pray. That's as simple as that. But we all know what prayer is, right? Some of us really hate being called on to pray because nobody likes having to stand up and talk and pray. Um, so how, how, are I, how am I supposed to do this? And I want to give you three ways of doing it. When you pray, here's how you do it. First of all, pray continually. Again, in verses 1 and 2, he says, Give ear to my words. Consider my sighing. Verse 2, listen to my cry. Three different ways the psalmist here knew he would pray. He's going to give God words. And then when he doesn't have words, sighing. Have you ever prayed just with sighing? Some of you know what I'm talking about with that, right? When you've just had a day where it's like, here's my, amen. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I just got, I don't have anything left. Hear my sighing. And then the last, the third one is this, this cry of desperation. We got a really awesome passage in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes to the church in chapter 5. You ready for this? We're going to memorize this this morning, okay? Everybody ready? We're going to do scripture memory. I want everybody to pay close attention. Verse 17 says, pray continually. Let's try it. Ready? One, two, three. Pray continually. Well, you remember? You have scripture memory in the morning church. That's it. How awesome is that? That's the command. The whole verse. That's it. Pray continually. And so when you pray, it's not just in the morning. It's always. It's throughout the day. It's like sunscreen. I got a little sunburn yesterday, so that's my, that's my illustration. When do you have to stop putting on sunscreen? Ask your mom this question if you're confused on it. When do I need to stop putting on sunscreen to go outside? Look, as long as the sun is shining, you need to what? Come on, moms. You need to put on your sunscreen, right? As long as you are breathing in this world, you need to put it on the protection of prayer. Everybody with me on that? You don't get to a point where it's like, is that enough? Am I done? Did I finally, fi I finally finished praying? No, you didn't. You, you keep going. Pray continually. Secondly, pray reverentially. The words that he uses for God in verse 1, he calls God Lord. In verse 2, he calls him King. And then he calls him God. He doesn't call him buddy or pal or dude. There's this sense of reverence that he has. And here's the reason why. 
I, I want you to know this. God does not need you to call him Lord for his sake. You think God doesn't know who he is? The reason why you need to be reverential in the way you pray to God is for your own sake. You need to be reminded that you are a person in need and that you need help from one greater than you. That's why we pray with reverence. Not because God's confused. Because we're confused. When you come to God flippantly, that's not going to help your heart know you are a creature dependent on God. But when you come to God as one, like we read in Isaiah, the angels declare three things. What was it? Do you remember? Holy, holy, holy. When you come to God in that declaration, boy, does that just remind you exactly like Lane read this morning. Isaiah comes and as Isaiah opens his mouth, do you remember what he says? Woe is me, is what he says. When he sees God as holy, reverentially coming to God, oh, that changes how I see myself. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And he says, I live among a people of unclean lips. That's the world we live in. The world that you will leave church today and go out into is a world that wants nothing to do with God. And so prayer is the command. Prayer is what we need to do. How often? Continually. It never ends. But when you go to God, go to him as one who is needing to hear from him. Go to him in reverence. You see this also in verse 7. Because your great mercy, I'll come into your house. In reverence, I will bow down. The reverence you bring to God, it changes us. All right. And thirdly, pray personally. Pray personally. He calls him my king and my God. All right. Secondly, I only got two things. They're easy to remember this morning, all right? You start your day with prayer, and then secondly, you know what you do after that? Wait. You wait. Verse 3, again in Psalm 5, verse 3, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and, what's the verb? And wait. Now, there's a manner by which he waits. So how, how, how should I wait, Pastor? Here you go. Number one, wait with expectation. When it comes time to wait, you wait as one who knows God is going to answer. Secondly, you wait with submission. Uh, this was, again, found over in uh, verses 7 and 8. 8 says, lead me. God, do what I want to do. This is what I think we should do, God. Let me give you my game plan, God. Try this in the... In the huddle for no listen i need your plan so when you wait you wait with submission i want you to know that doesn't mean you wait hear me now this is important you're, you're not supposed to wait with your feet up twin your thumbs that's not what it means to wait god is answering your prayer remember a heart of expectation means i'm gonna i'm gonna move forward in this decision that i think god is leading me to but i'm gonna watch all along for his leadership Either to continue or to set a, a roadblock and say, nope, now is not the right time. Or I, I have a different path I want you to follow. That's what it means to wait with submission. Not to wait as somebody just like, God's got to call me eventually. He's calling you right now. You expect him to answer. And wait with submission. And lastly, wait with dependence. This is all of verse 11 and 12. The righteous take refuge in God. That is how they wait. That's how they wait. If you're not a Christian, 
I only have two things for you as well. The first, and this is where it begins for all of us, is you have to believe. That's where it starts. You have to believe that what God has said here is true. God is not a God who takes pleasure in evil. Two, two things I want you to notice. If you go back with me in verse 4, and I'm wrapping up here. This is the end of the sermon, so hang on, all right? Here we go, verse 4. I want you to see when he says in verse 4, with you the wicked cannot dwell. I want you to notice he doesn't say God can't dwell with the wicked. He says the wicked can't dwell with God. If you didn't catch it there, verse 5, he says the same thing. The arrogant cannot stand your presence. To, to reverse the picture around um, as an illustration, my, my son grew up in the Bahamas, and so he was barefoot his whole childhood, run barefoot everywhere. Now he comes to the UP where there's snow half the year, and he's got to wear shoes. But being as a child who likes to be barefoot, he refuses to wear socks. And so what do you think his shoes smell like? I mean, just an animal died in there is all it smells like. He'll get in the car and I'll, did, I, did we have a, a mouse dying in here somewhere? Like, something is, and, and then he takes his shoes off and it's just like, burn those things. Get those out of here. We use this language today, right? I can't stand them, right? Do you ever use that phrase? Man, I just can't stand this anymore. That's this phrase. And I want you to know that it is not an issue with God. God's justice will show up in judgment. But God's loving presence won't be there. And those who are wicked can't stand God. Do you catch that? Those who practice sin and love their sin, they will hate the light. We in the Bahamas had a bunch of roaches. Do you know what happened when you turn the light on? Yeah. Why? Because they love the they can't stand the light. They hate the light. It burns their eyes. If you're not a Christian, you need to believe that this is true. You need to believe that God is a God who hates sin, but has provided a way out in His Son, Jesus Christ. You have sinned. I have sinned. All of us are born with sin. There was one, however, who was born without sin. For us, the wages of our sin will ultimately be what? But Jesus, having no sin, he died in a place for you. It starts with believing that message. With believing the message that we see in verse 10, God will declare you guilty. Believe me, you do not want to be on that side of the bench on that day. You do not want to be as one who is declared as the gavel falls guilty. Depart from me, you wicked worker of iniquity. I don't even know who you are. So if you don't believe that's true, I can't help you beyond that. But if you believe that's true, the second step is repent. Turn from your sin. Turn away from it. Throughout the Psalms, we've been shown this picture of refuge. And I've shared with you the illustration of having fooled around in hurricane force winds up to the point where it was more than I cared to be around. And I went and I found safety with God. I turned from my bad decision and I walked to where I could find safety. Repentance. I want to turn from my sin is the answer for the unbeliever. Uh, today we are wrapping up Psalms. We're going to come back to it in the future. Uh, we might start again here in Psalm 6 and just keep marching our way through. We're going to start a new series 
next Sunday. But as we wrap this up, I want to remind you of one final thing that we can see from this. You, I, I give you a quiz here. I gave you two things as a Christian to do. Number one, you're two. What? And secondly, you're two. And this issue of waiting, church, it's something we're actually doing right now. Where is Jesus right now? You see that at the right hand of the Father is where he is. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is where Jesus is right now. And so we are currently doing what? We're currently waiting. That's the first thing I want to share with you. The second thing is, I want to encourage you to allow things that are true, songs that are true, to influence how you think. Let the word of God change your heart and your mind. The music you listen to, the words that you read, they influence your life. Read the Psalms. Sing the Psalms. Allow your heart to be changed that you won't be conformed to the likeness of this world.